Welcome to the Thankful Homemaker Podcast, a podcast to be an encouragement and blessing to each other in the role God has called us to as women. I'm so thankful you stopped by, so grab yourself a coffee or tea and sit with me a bit as we talk about how God's Word impacts every area of our lives as Christian women. Hello, friends. I'm Marcy Farrell from ThankfulHomemaker.com, and we're continuing on in a series here at the podcast on marriage. Last week, um, we talked about God's design for marriage and our role as women, and we touched briefly on the areas of submission, respect, and love, and we're going to break those each down. And today, we're going to start by seeing what God's Word has to say about loving our husbands. I struggled titling this episode, so I just borrowed it from Scripture from the Titus 2-4 passage that we are to be taught by the older women to love their husbands. So before we dig into that passage, I want to work through with you on what is love, because love is a pretty necessary factor in our marriages. If we don't have love for one another, there's going to be a lot of issues in our marriage. Without love in our marriages, they're going to be difficult to endure. Any problems in the marriage will be difficult to overcome. And as time goes on, when we live in a relationship where there's no love, the relationship is going to begin to fall apart. We're not going to like each other very much or have any desire to be near one another, and it's just a bad place to be. God's word is clear on the importance of love in all our relationships, and this would really hold to to our marriages. We see in our most familiar passage, Matthew 22, 37 to 40 states, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we stated last week that our husbands are our closest neighbors. When love is talked about, do we really understand what it truly is or what it means when God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Okay, we obviously married our spouse because we love them, and they loved us. And now that we've been married a bit, we can find ourselves acting very unloving at times, or maybe a lot of times, sadly, and wondering what happened. We can't exhaustively cover today what real love is, but I do desire to work through on what God's Word says because He's given us a clear idea on what real love is in His Word. So let's look at a few passages of scripture together. And obviously there's tons of them (laughs) to look through, but we're just going to, I'm going to grab a handful here to really see what love is and what it isn't. So Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. When two people hate each other, they can hardly work or live together. Love in our relationships doesn't dwell on the other's faults. It quote, covers them. This Hebrew word here used for cover is kasa. It also means to conceal or forgive. And the word in Proverbs 10, 12 for cover is kasa. And it's the same word used for the word overwhelms in Proverbs 10, verses 6 and 11. And in those verses, it's talking about a wicked one's words are covered over with violence. But in Proverbs 10, 12, a righteous person covers up wrongs by forgiving the wrongdoers. The same image is here in 1 Peter 4.8, and it's cross-referenced to Proverbs 10.12. So 1 Peter 4.8, which is one we're all familiar with, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. The amplified um, version of um, the scriptures for 1 Peter 4.8 states it as, Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. So where love abounds for another, their offenses are quickly and frequently overlooked and forgotten. This type of enduring love shows that we are living in light of the eternal. Only hearts that have been changed by the gospel can generate this type of love. We've been loved by Christ And we now can delight to love others even when it's hard. I've heard it said that love is a virtue that throws a cloak of silence over what is displeasing in another person. This gives us a picture of love covering things with a cloak of love. So two quotes that I just want to 
share from just comments on this particular verse. And one of them was from Wayne Grudem. He said, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts about to Satan's perverse delight. And John MacArthur, this is a great quote because it, I'm just going to read it and then you'll hear it. Sorry, <laughs> I'm thinking ahead of myself here. John MacArthur says regarding 1 Peter 4, 8, it is the nature of true spiritual love, whether from God to man or Christian to Christian, to cover sins. This teaching does not preclude the discipline of a sinning, unrepentant church member. It means specifically that a Christian should overlook sins against him, if possible, and always be ready to forgive insults and unkindnesses. This is from a favorite resource of mine. It's the John MacArthur Study Bible. Great one to pick up if you're looking for a good study Bible. All right, so this love pictured in these verses, it's not blind to the faults of others, but when it sees them, it's not going to publicize their faults and failings, but it's going to protect them and puts their spiritual, the spiritual good of another first, all right? So again, when asked what is the greatest commandment, Jesus answered with these words, and I, I opened with this passage, but I'm going to read it again. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So these two commands Jesus gives summarize all the laws and commands in scripture. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 deal with our relationship with God and then our relationship with others. And these two commands, don't they're not replacing the Ten Commandments, but obedience to them fulfills their teaching. So if I am truly loving God and my neighbor, I will naturally keep all the other commandments. And Jesus is referring here back to Deuteronomy 6.5. And I'm going to read verses 6, 4 through um, 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So Deuteronomy 6, 5 was one of the best known commands. It was part of the Shema, which was a prayer that the Jews recited twice each day. So without a right relationship with God, we can never even begin to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If we're not first loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, it's not going to happen, right? To have peace and a right relationship with God, we first need to be reconciled to God, which means we need to know and understand and respond to the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And I don't know about you, but I like good news, right? So what is the good news we need to know? The good news we need to know is that the one and only God who's holy and perfect, he made us in his image to know him. But we have a problem. We are all sinners. We've all disobeyed God. We've all thought things and said things and did things that are not pleasing to God. Our unloving attitudes are sin, and our sin separates us from God. We must be perfect to please God. And we can't achieve that. None of us is perfect. We all deserve to be separated from God forever in hell because of our sins. But God, the best words ever, right? But God, in his great love, became a man in Jesus, fully God and fully man. And Jesus came to earth and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. Jesus is God, so he never sinned, not even once. He didn't deserve to die, but he chose to die in order to take the punishment for our sins. So what does God call us to do? He calls us to believe in Jesus. He calls us to repent of our sin. That means to turn from it and put our faith and trust in Jesus to save us. And when we do that, God doesn't just forgive us. He adopts us as his children. He becomes our heavenly father. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells in us and guides and directs us in our walk with the Lord. And he loves us with the same love he has for his son, Jesus Christ. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our sinfulness, but when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's pretty awesome. We now in turn can love others because he has loved us because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within us. So here, even being in Christ, even those of us that have been redeemed and have come to repent and believe the gospel, 
we are still going to fail to love God and others daily. And we need to look to the cross and be reminded that my hope of salvation is only from the imputed righteousness of Christ and not in any good works of my own. All right. So in clarifying all that, because it's so important that we come to the realization that we can't rightly love God and others, our husbands included in that, without being reconciled to God. So in the passage that Jesus talked about in Matthew, and I'm scanning back up here in my notes because I lost it in, um, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, one of the things Jesus says is heart, soul, mind. The word all is used, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. They show that we love God with our whole being. It's a complete love. Love motivates obedience. Love seeks the good of one's neighbor. And again, our husbands are our closest neighbor. It's a desire to show the same love for others that we desire to be shown to us. Think the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12 there. We're going to get lost in the needs of others. We're going to seek their best. A total love for God and a sensitive love for others is the essence of a life that pleases God. Love God and love others. Love your husband with an agape love, which brings me to my last verses to use to define love. And before I do that, I want to share some other scriptures that would be good to review on your own. Read them, meditate on them, ask yourself and ask um, yourself these two questions really that um, I'm going to give. I've taken them from my Give Me Jesus journal, but they really originally came from Jen Wilkin and her studies. So as you read and you study and meditate on a passage and work through it, ask yourself, what have you learned about God from this passage? And in light of that, how does this change the way I live? Or because of today's episode, how does this change the way I love others or how I love my husband? When So I'm going to put those in the show notes, so don't feel you have to write those down. So they'll be though there. Um, and I'm going to put all these verses in the show notes too, okay? But when you're reading the verses that I give you, and this is the case with any, always read a bit before and after the verses. Maybe you can read the whole chapter that it's from so you can get the full context of them. Your Bible is the best tool that you have to study your Bible. As we read God's Word and we meditate it on it, our minds are renewed, just as it tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We need to spend time in the Word, and truly, I say daily, because it's a book that's alive and it's how we learn about who God is and in light of who He is, who He calls us to be. All right, so here's my list of verses. Obviously, the first... Um, couple that we went through, 1 Peter 4, 8, Proverbs 10, 12, and then Matthew 22, and I already forgot, 37 to 40, I believe it is, sorry. And I want to add to that list about loving one another is Romans 13, 8 through 10, Galatians 5, 13 to 15, Romans 14, 14 to 15, Ephesians 5, 25, 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 1, 5, Titus 2, 3 through 4, and this particular one we're going to work through on this session yet, 1 John 3, 16 to 18, and James 2, 15 to 16. And I've honestly, I've gathered these verses from a really helpful resource, and I have read through and worked through all of them from a favorite biblical counselor of mine called Wayne Mack. It's from his book. It's called Preparing for Marriage, God's Way, and it's an excellent resource to work through for couples preparing for marriage, but it's really talking about any season of your life in marriage. So it's for before and after the wedding. Um, I'm going to link to that in the show notes too, but two more of his books that I recommend for marriage are, one is called Strengthening Your Marriage. And then another one that's good to read is called Sweethearts for a Lifetime. And that's a sweet one to read together as a couple. Strengthening Your Marriage is a little more like um, a workbook. You're going to work through it. And so is this Preparing for Marriage God's Way. It's a great one to work through if you're counseling a young couple to be married or if you are newly married yourself with your husband to go through. But Sweethearts for a Lifetime, his book is just a good read together as a couple to go through somewhat as a devotional, but really it's more of a study. Okay, so we can't talk about real love without this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, right? I'm going to read the whole chapter for context, and I think it's good to just hear it. So I'm starting in verse 1 all the way to verse 12. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant 
or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So in our time together today, I want to look more closely at 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. This whole chapter describes God's love, and it also describes the kind of love we're to show to one another as Christians because of what God has done for us and in us. The word for love in 1 Corinthians is agape, and we're all pretty familiar with that. We've heard and we probably know that agape love means what it means, and to note that it's defined by verb, so it's described more by what it does instead of what it is. And please note that in these verses, love is not a feeling, and and I, I get it, love is a feeling. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying when the Apostle Paul describes agape love, he's not stressing personal feeling here, but he's defining the kind of love that is seen and, demonst- and demonstrated. 1 Corinthians beautifully and clearly lays out what love is. Agape love is always shown by what it does. We're called to love all people with agape love, our husbands, children, friends, enemies, unbelievers in our life. It's an exhaustive list. All people are created in God's image and are to be loved with agape love. Agape love is not based on feeling, um, feeling, but it is an act of the will. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 starts out with positives. Love is patient and kind. These two alone are a daily challenge for us, but Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on to show the negative aspects of what love doesn't do. So love doesn't envy or brag. Love doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This letter was written to the Corinthians, and they had a lot of problems because they were lacking in love for one another. Paul reminds them that no matter, no matter the gifts or qualities a believer has, if they don't have love, they have nothing. So agape love is love that is seeking the highest good of another. Jesus is the ultimate example of agape love and his sacrificial death on the cross for us, Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I have a really lengthy quote here from John MacArthur that I want to read on agape love. It's taken from his commentary on Ephesians. And I, I know we're speaking to wives here, and this one talks about husbands a little. And that's my other quick note here as I'm pondering through this. Um, I love when I go off notes because then I get an um in there. But we... um. I'm speaking to wives. I can't control what your husband does. And realistically, you can't control what your husband does, but you can control your response. And that's what I'm talking about here when I'm talking to wives. I'm talking about controlling our response. So let me get to this lengthy quote from John MacArthur now. So he says, if a husband fails in love for his wife or she for him, it is never because of the other person, regardless of what the other person may have done. You do not fall either into or out of agape love because it is controlled by the will. Romantic love can be beautiful and meaningful, and we find many favorable accounts of it in Scripture. But it is agape love that God commands husbands and wives to have for each other. The love that each person controls by his own act of will. Strained relations between husbands and wives, between fellow workers, between brothers and sisters, or between any others is never a matter of incompatibility or personality conflict but it is always a matter of sin. Loving others is an act of obedience and not loving them is an act of disobedience. The absence of agape love is the presence of sin. The absence of love has nothing at all to do with what is happening to us, but everything to do with what is happening in us. Sin and love are enemies because sin and God are enemies. They cannot coexist. Where one is, the other is not. The loveless life 
is the ungodly life, and the godly life is the serving, caring, tender-hearted, affectionate, self-giving, self-sacrificing life of Christ's love working through the believer. Agape is the love that gives. There's no taking involved. It is completely unselfish. It seeks the highest good for another, no matter what the cost, demonstrated supremely by Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. End quote. And I will obviously put that whole quote in the show notes. It's worth reading through again. I, I, there's no way I could have stated that anyway to complete that in my own words. So that was just, I just sin and love are enemies because sin and God are enemies. They cannot coexist. And I loved even the opening. If a husband fails in love for his wife or she for him, it's never because of the other person, regardless of what they have done. You do not fall into or out of agape love because it's controlled by the will. Just good things to be mindful of, ladies. So I cannot blame my husband when I find my attitude and my heart towards him not loving him, no matter what he does. Actually, what it is doing in me, it's revealing the ugliness of sin within me. It's bringing that out of me. So as we look at just the few above passages and as we end with agape love, we see that this is a supernatural love and it's only possible by the Holy Spirit at work within us only by his power. And all Christians are called to love others in this way. We are equipped to do this if we are in Christ. A passage from 1 Corinthians is read at weddings frequently, and it may have been read at your wedding. It's a beautiful passage because as we talk about filial love soon in coming up in the session, but agape love goes above and beyond or it transcends filial love. It is unconditional, sacrificing, selfless, and unending. When we grasp truly God's love for us, we see that agape love is not conditional on needs being met because it rests fully that all our needs have been met in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, Paul tells us if we're not showing agape love, we are nothing and we gain nothing. Agape love is not earned. We can fall easily into the pattern of only showing love for our husbands when we feel they deserve it. If we've been hurt by our husbands and we fail to show love in return, we are saying that love is earned. How frequently do I find myself doing that? That maybe a word is said to me and not a great tone. And instead of just continuing to respond lovingly to my husband, I take that as an offense. And instead of love covers a multitude of sins, I don't do that. And that's sin. I'm sinning at that moment. And as I've stated before, and I'm sure many others have, it's not okay to sin against sin. So Jesus loved us in a costly way. As followers of Christ, we're to love others in a costly way. There's freedom in loving others God's way. We are equipped to love others. And specifically today, I'm talking about our husbands. But you can see how this session, this our time together, pertains to all of our relationships. Love is going to cost us at times our pride, our comfort. It's going to cost time and even giving up our preferences. Jen Wilkins shared in her book and his image regarding the love that marks believers different from the world. She said to ask ourselves, what is the will of God for your life? That you love as you have been loved. When faced with a decision, ask yourself, which choice enables me to grow in agape for God and others and then choose according to his will? So ladies, this is real love. We love because he first loved us. When our love for God is wholehearted, heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Then our, then our love for our husbands will naturally overflow for that. Let's look at one more way we're called to love in the scriptures as wives, and it's in the familiar Titus 2-4 passage, and then I want to get on really practical on what it looks like lived out. And I do want to say, you know, we are never told as wives specifically in the scripture, you know, and I've heard it said before as pastors work through Ephesians that husbands are told to love their wives three times in those Ephesians verses, and they kind of joke that they are told three times because they obviously must be um, a little forgetful on it. But we are never just commanded to love our husbands. And even you'll see with this Titus 2-4 passage is not saying And obviously, in Scripture, we're commanded to love others. As we just read in the chapter Matthew 22, and I think of John 13, um, 34 and 35, that... Um, and I'm blanking on it, but the verses to love, we're, we're all called to love one another. So that's clear. Um, but this Titus 2-4 passage, as we look at it, it's its not 
a com- it's not a command. It's t- it's more of a command for the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands. So let's take a look at this together. Let me read Titus 2, 3 through 4 now that I just got off my little rabbit trail there. But all right, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Don't ever forget that last part of the verse there, that the word of God may not be reviled. There's a purpose to why we are to live this out. All right, so take a moment with me, ladies, really. Remember back to the early days of your marriage, right? You love to see your husband's face, to hear his voice, to feel his touch, to hold his hand, to be near him, to just delight in long, sweet conversations. You know what? To delight just sitting next to him and doing nothing, right? Laughing together, taking long walks, sending love notes back in the day when... When my husband and I were dating, that was back in the day before really email and stuff going on. But sweet phone calls and all the other gifts that let you know you were loved and cherished by each other. Nobody had to tell you to delight and cherish that man, right? So now we fast forward, okay? And all of a sudden life happens, right? Your days are busy. There's so many areas calling for your time and attention. There's children to care for and to love, and there's homes to clean and bills to pay and meals to cook and piles of laundry and dishes and ministry work to be done. And we are also now a bit more aware of the faults of our husband. And on the flip side, hopefully we're more aware of our own faults and weaknesses too. So my Elizabeth Elliot's words always, your husband married a sinner and you married a sinner, okay? We all have areas where we need to change and grow. And a favorite quote or reminder from Charles Spurgeon, I want to throw in here about this. He says, he who grows in grace remembers that he is but dust, and he therefore does not expect his fellow Christians to be anything more. He overlooks 10,000 of their faults because he knows his God overlooks 20,000 in his own case. He does not expect perfection in the creature, and therefore he is not disappointed when he does not find it. All right, end quote there. So the amazing and beautiful part of that is that God forgives sinners and helps us to be more like him. When we are in Christ, God uses our marriages to sanctify us and grow us more Christ-like. And one of those areas is, is growing us in love with God and with each other. So in Titus 2, those verses there, 3 through 4, the older women are told to teach the younger women to love their husbands. It's not a natural thing. We talked about this a little bit last week. So the word for love in this verse is not agape, which we just went through. Agape is a self-sacrificing love, but this is phileo. Phileo love is a tender, affectionate, and passionate kind of love. It's the love you would see between close friends. So does the love you show to your husband resemble that of a love between close friends? See, the Lord knew that as women, we are really good at sacrificial love, okay? We're good to do laundry and cook meals and raise children. And the sad part of that is, though, we can do that without having that tender affection for him. And that's not what the Bible, what, and that is not the love the Bible calls us to when in Titus 2.3, it's telling us we're to be taught by the older women to love our husbands. We can find ourselves very busy serving our husbands that we forget to enjoy them. Douglas Wilson from his book, Reforming Marriage, states, women... This is kind of funny, actually. Women are fully capable of loving a man and sacrificing for him while believing the entire time that he is a true and unvarnished jerk. Women are good at this kind of love. Okay, this is not what scripture calls us to do. Our love for them requires much more than cooking their meals and doing their laundry. We're called to love them with a tender, affectionate kind of love, whether or not we deem them worthy, all right? Carolyn Mahaney in her book, Feminine Appeal, reminds us this command to phileo love does not come with a contingency clause. She reminds us this verse does not say, quote, have the older women teach the young women how to love their husbands if they have godly character or if they are deserving this kind of love or if they change. And I'm going to add, if they are believers, we are to love regardless of their response. It is an unconditional love and it needs to come from a right heart attitude not just the physical action our hearts need to be changed by the work of the spirit within us to show this love one question that i encourage you to write in your prayer journal or bible somewhere especially if you're in a difficult marriage 
And this is, I took this from Carolyn's book, Feminine um, Appeal. It's a good question that we really should all ask ourselves daily. And she says, how can I as a wife bring honor to the gospel? Again, how can I as a wife bring honor to the gospel? Listen, it may be hard and I know it's not easy. There are some tough situations out there, but be reminded that 1 John 4.19 tells us we can love our husbands because God first loved us. Ask the Lord to help you show love to your husband and how you can bring honor to the gospel in your relationship, regardless of your husband's response. Hold to God's promises. I know it seems redundant to say it, but we know, we know that Romans 8.28 is true, that God will work all things for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is working good in the midst of our suffering and difficult circumstances. It's in these times that we're growing closer to him in dependence and we're becoming more Christ-like as he reveals the sin in our lives and as we seek his help to respond lovingly to others when it's not easy. Pray, ladies, pour your heart out to the Lord. He is compassionate and has great love for you. Draw near to him. He never leaves us or forsakes us. Every difficult situation and circumstance and relationship in our lives has purpose in it. And our the main purpose is to mold us more into his image and to bring glory to him. Keep your eyes on Christ and look to the eternal purposes because we have no idea what the Lord has in store for our marriages. I have heard and seen many marriages transformed as the Lord used the love of the wife to soften her husband's heart towards her. One quick note here, though, I feel like I always need to put this in, and I pray that you know this as you've listened to me. You are not called to stay in an abusive relationship. You need to get help and get to safety, all right? And I'm not saying divorce. I that I, I'm not going there, but you need to get to safety. Call the police. Seek help from your church. Go to your elders for counsel and prayer to work through the situation. That's really important. So our God is a redeeming God, though. Remember this. There is no relationship or no one beyond his redeeming hand. Pray that God would grow you in tender love for your husband. All right. As Marcy loves to do, I want to get practical together with you. So what does true biblical love look like for um, look like for our husbands? And this is the verse I couldn't think of in John 13 that I said earlier that I blanked on. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as a Christian, I'm commanded to love my husband just as I'm commanded to love others. And I know this verse is talking about believers, but the reality is in our Matthew 22 verse, we're called to love all. So whether or not your husband is a believer, or even if we're talking about outside of our marriages and unbelievers, we're called to love everybody, right? With agape love. So love in this verse in John 13 is agape love, and it's to be given when there is nothing given in return. It is a choice. In the Excellent Wife book on her chapter on love, there's a really great example she shares about a wife who is angry at her husband, and then they're at this heat of an argument, they're yelling, and the doorbell rings. It's their pastor. And she answers that door so kindly and sweetly with a smile. She chooses right there to outwardly show kindness to her pastor. I don't know what was going on inside her mind at that time. We don't know that, right? But the point being, we can choose to show love when we want to. So let's just look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I'm going to just read those verses again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So the verses above in Corinthians apply to our marriages too. I encourage you to memorize the above verses and speak them out loud to yourself often. Are you patient and kind to your husband? Are you rude? Do you insist on your own way? Are you resentful? These verses are the description of true biblical love, not just to our friends and neighbors, but our husbands. And again, reminder, they are our closest neighbors. Um, I think, again, Matthew twenty two thirty nine: you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So how much time and effort do you put into showing love to your children, your friends? Your husband is your closest neighbor. He should come first, all right? 
two areas that can kill love for our husbands are selfishness and bitterness. And we're going to take a look at selfishness first. And just as I'm working through this, if you have the Excellent Wife book, take it, pull it from the shelf, dust it off a little bit, open it up, and at least read the chapter on love along with this um, podcast. I think it'll go well if you have that on hand. And it won't take you a whole lot of time, but it'll just be a good reminder. All right, so let's take a look at selfishness first here, okay? Philippians 2, 3 through 4, familiar verses. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Okay, we naturally to seem to look out for our own interests. Hmm, what's the word for that? That's really at the root of all sin. Oh, it's our selfishness. That's right. (laughs) And I know this one well because this is a struggle for me, all right? Counting others as more significant than ourselves is the true definition of humility. This may seem radical, but it is the life that we are called to if we are in Christ. Think about it this way. The concern that you have for your interests, God calls you to have that same concern for your husband's interests. Remember just a couple of verses above where we just read in 1 Corinthians 13 where love does not insist on its own way? Be mindful of those verses when you set aside your desires for the desires of your husband. There's moments that maybe you want to do one thing and your husband another, and it's not wrong for you to express your opinion, but after doing so, let him have the final decision and remind yourself that love does not seek its own way and consider him more important than yourself or maybe just go along with him. If he just would like to take a walk after dinner or to do something and you know that there's dishes in the sink, the dishes will be there when you get back. Go take a walk. Literally set aside your desires and look to the interests of others. All right, in another area that can be a struggle for us as women, um, I just love it because I know this too, is bitterness, Right? Our sin can quickly destroy tender love for our husbands. We can let bitterness from past hurts get in the way of showing love to our husbands. Or when we dwell on wrongs our husband has done, that ugly root of bitterness pops up. It can express itself in impatience or anger. We can find ourselves being short with him. And we most definitely won't have tender feelings of affection or love towards him. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. And Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no, quote, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Again, that was Hebrews 12.15. And Warren Wiersbe has this very practical comment on bitterness to which even believers can fall prey. And he's referencing this verse in Hebrews 12, 15. And he's stating that even though the Hebrews, the reference appears to refer to an unsaved individual though, but he is saying that even so as believers, we can all fall prey to this. He's saying an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. If somebody hurts us, either deliberately or unintentionally, and we do not forgive him, then we begin to develop bitterness within, which hardens the heart. We should be tenderhearted and kind, but instead we are hard-hearted and bitter. Actually, we're not hurting the person who hurt us. We're only hurting ourselves. Bitterness in the heart makes us treat others the way Satan treats them. That's really yucky, ladies. That's my own little commentary there. Sorry. When we should be treating others the way God has treated us. In his gracious kindness, God has forgiven us and we should forgive others. We do not forgive for our sake. He says, though we do get a blessing from it or even for their sake. But for Jesus' sake, learning how to forgive and forget is one of the secrets of a happy Christian life, end quote. I have a really helpful little pamphlet kind of booklet on bitterness that I'm going to, it's um, gonna, it's by Lou Priol that I'm going to share a link to in the show notes. If this is an area for struggle with you, it would be good to work through it. And you know, I have issues, it's not even my husband, it's other issues that I'm working through bitterness on. I probably need to do a podcast on bitterness one day. Um, and this pamphlet is one that I turn back to, to just just refocus my heart and mind when I'm finding myself getting caught up in that sin. And another great tip here from the excellent wife, she says, instead of thinking, how can I get love? Think, how can I show love? 
We are so much more influenced by worldly thinking than we realize. There's no better way to begin thinking biblically than by daily intake in the word, time and prayer, and scripture memory. It takes time and work. We are responsible to the Lord to seek him and renewing our minds. And we do not, and we do that by taking in his word and hiding it in our hearts. We might not sin against him. Think Psalm 119.11 there. Okay, so how do we put on love? Colossians 3, 12 through 14 tells us, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So putting on and showing true biblical love to your husband benefits your marriage, it benefits your children, and it honors the Lord. I'm going to share some good counsel from Elizabeth Elliot. I shared this quote last week, but I want to share it again because I think it's really good. So just listen to my repetitiveness. Your, your guys are going to be like my children here who hear me repeat things like over and over again. So a wife, if she is very generous, may allow that her husband lives up to perhaps 80% of her expectations. There is always the other 20% that she would like to change, and she may chip away at it for the whole of their married life without reducing it by very much. She may, on the other hand, simply decide to enjoy the 80%, and both of them will be happy." When I read that, I am reminded how much I do love and cherish the husband the Lord has given me. I want to enjoy him and let him know what a gift he is to me. The most loving thing you can do for your children is to love your husband well. It sets an example to them of what a biblical marriage should look like and aids them in choosing their future spouses. Listen, I fail at this daily, but God's word and his spirit do not leave me alone. It does not happen automatically. It takes work. And because of my love for the Lord and for my husband, I will continue to work hard at it and let the Lord work in and through me to accomplish all things for his glory. We can make all the excuses that we want, but I'm not helping you as a sister in the faith by leaving us in our sinfulness. One of our callings as Christians is to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So let's roll up our sleeves, let's get in the word of God, spend time in prayer, and let his word renew our thinking and put on love for our husbands. So what are some ways we can put on love? And I, again, I encourage you, memorize 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, and write down each description of love from the verses and see which areas you need to seek help from the Lord to change in. So below is a description of love from the verses in 1 Corinthians 13 with a brief definition and challenge after each one. I'm sharing my list with you to get you started. So this is just an example. And I'm going to talk about it at the end, but I have a post on the blog that went up yesterday on Tuesday, and it's a quiz on how you show, how well you show love to your husband. And it's really walking us through 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. I highly, highly encourage you to maybe um, just copy the questions and print them out and spend some time with it. So let me start with my list here. So practically, this is what I would maybe look at. Love is patient. To me, I see that it never tires of waiting. Love is kind. It means to be friendly and generous and warm towards my husband. Love does not envy that I want to desire and promote the good of my husband to be happy with his successes. Love does not boast to praise my husband and not myself, to take the time to listen to him instead of waiting to get a word in edgewise. Love is not arrogant. Listen to his opinions and remember to not be a know-it-all. Arrogance is a lack of respect for another person and that we're ignoring how they would feel and we assert our own decisions in there. Love is not rude. I heard a saying, I don't know that it's biblical, but I I really, I like it. (laughs) I think it can be biblical. If you're right, but you're rude, then you're wrong. I know we may have hard things to say biblically at times, but we can still say it in a very tactful and loving and gentle way. So do you find yourself being sarcastic with your husband even? Or love does not insist on its own way. Can I be flexible and pay attention to when I'm being self-centered in a situation that I would be aware of that? Love is not resentful that I need to confess any bitterness that I have to the Lord and in return bless my husband by something that he would love to do, even simple things, a back rub, a favorite meal, a walk, a movie night, whatever that may be. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. 
if he's not, I, this was a tough one because I don't, I don't want to, I want to correct him of sin. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that probably further in this series a little bit. And I do have a post at my blog called addressing our husband's sin. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. All right. But then I kind of thought about if he's not feeling well, or he's going through a difficult time, those are times too, that I want to sympathize with him. Or if he's been wronged against that I want to have sympathy for him in that situation, still pointing him to Christ. Love rejoices at the truth that there should be honesty in all situations should be the goal, even when sometimes the truth may be difficult to hear at times. Love bears all things, all right? So love indeed does cover everything. Love believes all things. Here's another one. Think the best about your husband, right? Sometimes we are so quick to put motives and we don't even know the other person's motives. So think the best about your husband. And love always grants a do-over, all right? Love hopes all things. We're getting near the end here. No situation is hopeless. Love will find a way to begin again. And then the last example here of love endures all things. Love never gives up on anyone or quits. And one helpful tip I heard and practiced when we were memorizing this passage in our church was to take the word love out and put Jesus in the place of love because he is the ultimate example of what love is. So let me read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 with the word Jesus in there. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's pretty. It's a little convicting there. Okay, so what about if your husband is just a difficult person to love? I don't have an easy answer here. It is going to be hard, all right? I'm not in your shoes. I get it. I, I don't have an understanding there. But first, you need to you need the reminder that only Christ can meet all your needs. You will always, always be disappointed if you're putting expectations on others, even if your relationship is a good one. And secondly, sometimes we need to start by praying and asking the Lord to help us see the good qualities in our spouse. We can get so focused on the negatives and what they're not doing right. Again, think that Elizabeth Elliot quote I read again to you, the 80-20 quote, that we lose sight of the areas of growth in their lives. Repent. If you have had a critical, fault-finding, sinful spirit, ask the Lord to give you eyes to catch what they are doing right and acknowledge it. I encourage you, this has been a challenge that I have really benefited from, to go over to Revive Our Hearts and sign up for the 30-Day Husband Encouragement Challenge. You can get them, I believe, daily in your email. Um, I think still, I'm not for sure on that. But it reveals to you how often you are thinking negatively about your husband, and it's going to reveal how much you lack in encouraging him. It's really a good challenge to go to through maybe yearly even. You can print off the PDF and keep it handy in your Bible to go through, you know, maybe for one month. Really, each day you can almost take it for a week to work through it well. So another way is to seek our husband's best and don't worry about what we're getting in return. Love calls us to sacrifice. There may be times, ladies, that it's it's hard that you need to confront sin in your spouse's life because it's not a good road they're going down, and it is the loving thing to do. And when it is done with a heart filled with love for God and love for your spouse, because you're, I, I here I can't guarantee that it's going to go well. All right, but when we start with love as the goal, we will be able to be seeking what is best for our spouse, no matter their response to it. Our response can still be loving. The character of Christ is love, and that character should be lived out in our marriages. The Holy Spirit desires us to be more Christ-like. I pray that we would want to see this love manifested in our marriages and carried over into our families. Ask the Lord today to help you put on His love in your marriage. Not love that's based on feelings, but love that is based on the truth of God's Word. It starts first with loving the Lord with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is impossible to do in your own strength. You must be in Christ. You must be born again. You must repent of your sins and put your faith and hope in Christ alone for salvation. God will help us to endure when the road is hard. He never leaves us or forsakes us, and He equips us to respond to the situations and circumstances and relationships, this reminder that He allows in our lives. 
Romans 15, 5-6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will encourage us and help us to endure the challenges of loving one another in our marriages. We are in this for the long haul, right till death do us part, and our God is with us. Ephesians 3, 14-19 says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Ask Jesus to fill your heart with the knowledge of the breadth, length, height, and depth of his love for you. Pray that he would fill you with the joy of his inheritance that you have from him. When you're reminded of the riches that are yours in Christ, you will genuinely be able to love your husband as yourself and seek to be to bring honor to God in your marriage. Our marriages, as we talked about last week, are a visible picture of the gospel to a watching world around us. God's grace enables us to love our husbands. Let me leave you with the words of Charles Spurgeon. He gives grace abundantly, seasonably, constantly, readily, sovereignly. He generously pours into our souls without ceasing, and he always will do so, whatever may occur. End quote. Jesus is enough always. And I feel bad I left that out last week. So thank you, my friends, for your time with me today. My podcast, episode 17 on cherishing our husbands, goes really well with this one. If you haven't listened to it yet, or maybe you have a moment to listen to it again, it's shorter than this one. (laughs) It's about half the time. So if you missed last week's, take a listen on God's design for our marriages and our role as women. It's episode 34. And although each of these episodes can stand alone, they the, the purpose is that they're going to work well together. So next week, we're going to be talking about respect. And I'm looking forward to my time and preparing for that episode. I've got some outline together and I'm just beginning to put it together. Also, Don't forget to take some time to work through the quiz on how well do you love your spouse from yesterday's blog post if you haven't yet. And again, all the links and quotes and scripture references are at the blog. Check it out if you haven't visited the blog in a bit because it got a lovely, lovely makeover from my friend Gretchen Louise who did a beautiful job and it was just a delight to work with her. It is cleaner and updated and easier to navigate. I teased her when I started. I said it kind of looks like a grandma blog, but now it doesn't look like a grandma blog, but I am a grandma, so it's still a grandma blog, but I love how it looks. I've really, I've enjoyed it. So um, thank you again for your lovely reviews, ladies. They have been a sweet blessing to me and many others too to help them in finding the podcast. So thank you. And I'd so appreciate if you haven't yet, if you could leave one where you, wherever you listen to the podcast at. So my friends have a very blessed week and I look forward to our time together next week. <music>